and good afternoon, and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with uh, Laron Landis. I, I had to look over. Uh, I'm used to saying Patty Fink and Laron Landis. Patty is off today because we are social distancing here at uh, KNON, and our guests are on the phone. And our guest today is Leslie McMurray. Leslie's been with us lots of times, but Leslie, you have a new position with Resource Center. You are now an advocacy person full time. I am, uh, and it answers the question on the Facebook post of, who is she? Exactly. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yes, I, I am now the Transgender Education and Advocacy Associate, which is a full-time thing now, so I can focus all my time and energy on wreaking havoc. So now you're a professional transgender. Yeah, apparently. Uh-huh. Apparently so. <laughs> I'll bet you'll do some legislation or work on some legislation that will be good for more than just the transgender community, because usually you find when you're benefiting one group, it benefits lots and lots of people. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, really, the, the goal of it is equality more than anything else. So, you know, if, if, I guess if you already have full and equal rights, uh, or advantageous rights, uh, you don't really lose any by other getting equal rights. It's not pie, you know. You know, that reminds me uh, when we were with the, um, uh, the mayor's task force and going through all of the ordinances, and the city manager came back to us and said, ooh, the non-discrimination ordinance doesn't include uh, veterans. And the only reaction from us was, well, why not? Of course it should include veterans. Yeah. Right. You know, we're not doing this just to benefit one particular group. We believe in non-discrimination. Period. Which is interesting because the state of Texas doesn't observe uh, veterans as a protected class, nor does it uh, uh, protect women uh, that are pregnant. Right. Uh, and, and they say because, well, state laws and federal laws don't include those groups. Well, that doesn't yeah. mean that you can't protect those groups just because, yeah. you know, equality is equality. Well, we've shown time and again that enumerated protections are important. Yes, uh, which was the argument and what took so long to get the hate crime law passed, and it's almost 20 years. But uh, yeah. that was the argument that, well, uh, we believe that any crime against somebody for who that person is should be illegal, and we agree. Um, yeah. but, we were yeah. having a conversation a while back with uh, a, a particular governmental agency uh, about equality, and they said, well, we're just going to stick with what the state has. We don't feel the need to enumerate uh, these things because uh, we just don't discriminate. We're, we're all up for equality, and I said, that's wonderful to hear. So you wouldn't mind removing race and religion? And just all the color ran out of the state at that point. I said, yeah, because you'd be crucified for doing that. But, hey, if you don't discriminate, then why not remove race and religion and see how that goes? Mm -hmm. So if you don't need to enumerate, uh, so of course you need to enumerate mm -hmm. because people are discriminated against based on those things. So uh, the need is definitely there. So for those of us that stand unprotected, uh, we're not going to take your word for it because you haven't protected us in the past. Right. Uh, it's, it, it helps somebody who's new in the position to understand, and I mean this group, and I mean this group, and I mean this group, um, 
Laurent, you were uh, talking about you work with somebody who Leslie trained. Yes, uh, a colleague of mine graduated from um, law school. I, I think it's been a year and a half ago now, and she went to one of your trainings and she enjoyed it. She enjoyed it immensely. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. But one of the things she learned from it was why you enumerate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's important. Uh, and it also, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to work with, uh, with regard to medical schools is to teach transgender healthcare. And for one, it's important to the 2.1 million of us in America, or 1.4, I guess it is, that, uh, doctors don't really know anything about, uh, because they aren't trained, uh, in general curriculum in transgender healthcare. So consequently, transgender people have to end up training their own doctors and, well, we don't have a medical training, but it's kind of frightening when we know more than the person that's treating us. Um, but what's even more important than that is the medical community is respected uh, by society. You know, doctors are held in a high hierarchy. Uh, and if they say this group of people is worth learning about, then we become a little bit more important in our lives or a little bit less disposable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why those kind of things are important. Um, what, what are the types of things that you're talking to a, to a medical student about? Um, what are the kinds of things that they need to know just as a base? Here's what you need to know if you're treating a transgender patient. Good God, uh, how much time do you have? Well, uh, there's a lot. I, I mean, that, that's why my question was, what, what is the base? Because obviously, if you go in for one afternoon, you can't teach them what they need to know. But you can teach them a base and give them a, and you need to learn this, 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 and this. Well, one of the things, I'm working with a uh, giant uh, public hospital um, that maybe we can talk about later. But uh, they are wanting to rework and be more respectful of transgender patients. And that goes everywhere uh, from cultural competency issues, uh, but not just in the treatment room with doctors and or nurses, but it starts at admitting because a lot of times what you enter into the EMR isn't changeable. And so having that done correctly, and they need to know three different things. They need to know my sex assigned at birth, they need to know my legal sex, and they need to know my gender identity. The first two are medical, the third is cultural competency just so you can deal with me in a respectful manner. The first two are medically important because when I had uh, gender confirmation surgery, they don't remove the prostate. So if I had symptoms of prostate issues, but they only knew that I was legally female, they might not look for that type of thing. Uh, They might miss something. It might delay in getting a diagnosis. So if they know my sex assigned at birth, they would say, okay, chances are we have a prostate in there. We need to alert imaging people so that if they see a prostate in a female patient, they're not pointing and making jokes and going har har har. Uh, so or up and down, or just so that they're not surprised by it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I'm sure so, just you're saying yeah. just now that in sex reassignment surgery, the prostate gland is not removed would surprise people. Yeah, it might, uh, and it shouldn't because again, if they had that training, they would know that. They would also know that some men could be pregnant. And so it could be life-threatening if you had a male patient who was in a car accident that 
was either semi-conscious or unconscious and brought into an emergency room, uh, I've asked doctors before, would you give this guy a pregnancy test? And they said, no, why would I? And I said, well, there was a guy in, in Oregon that uh, was a trans guy, stopped taking testosterone, got pregnant from his partner and was four months pregnant, but looked every bit a guy and is a guy, except this particular guy is pregnant. So if you administer an anesthetic or a painkiller to this person that you wouldn't give to a person carrying a child, you might harm the child. So if it's not even on the radar that this person could be transgender, uh, that this man could be carrying a child, you, you might hurt somebody. So those are medical things that I shouldn't even have to bring up because I'm a trained Canadian. I'm not a medical professional at all. But a lot of what we work with just simple cultural competency things of maybe having on intake forms a preferred name or gender identity or how you like to be referred to, what you would want on your hospital bracelet. Because if you have to put the legal name, I get it. But if you can put a preferred name on it so I'm at least treated respectfully, that would help. Uh, how to greet somebody who's uh, non-binary or transgender without being offensive. So what are you, a man or a woman? We don't want to hear that out of their mouth. We don't want to be mocked or um, you know, stuck in a hallway because you don't want to treat it. And all those kind of things happen. So you know, that's what we talk about is just how to treat the patient in front of you. I had my gallbladder out uh, a year or two ago. And... As part of that, the ferritin level, which is the iron in the blood, spiked really high uh, to where it was concerning. So they kept me in the hospital for an extra couple of days to figure out what's going on. And they brought in this liver specialist. And my wife Katie was there. And this liver specialist, who never met me before, but I have female anatomy, female name, female ID, female gender marker, female everything. And she kept misgendering me. Uh, and she would turn to Katie and say, well, he, da 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 And Katie would stop her and say, it's she. And she, oh, I'm sorry. And then she'd plow on through and misgender me again. And after it happened two or three times, Katie got really abrupt with her. It's like, knock it off or get out. Wow. And what I tell medical students is, treat the patient in front of you. Because she was treating me as a liver. That woman had probably forgot more about livers than all of her now. She's very well educated, but she was treating me like crap because she wasn't treating me as a patient. She was treating me as a liver. Going back to when you were saying that you would have to like inform a doctor <clears throat> that you still have your prostate, yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have known it. Um, because, like you said, everything is listed. Your gender marker, your yeah. ID, everything is uh, listed as sure. female. How does that work with insurance? When you're listed as a female, would, yeah, would that cover? Uh, they would often fight it because to them it looks like fraud. Uh, and I don't blame them for looking at it as fraud, but I think one of a couple of things needs to happen is they either need to just treat human beings and say, if you need X done and we cover those things as an insurance company, it's irrelevant to us whether you're male or female. It just doesn't I matter. Agree. If this thing is wrong, treat that thing. Fenway Health, uh, which is based in Boston, has a really interesting uh, admitting form. Is They just have check boxes, check the organs that you have. Right? Oh. So it could be things that has nothing to do with gender identity. It could be I have my gallbladder removed, so I wouldn't check that box. Uh, I still have my appendix, so I check that box. I still have my prostate, so I check that box. Uterus, no. Um, ovaries, no. 
So I would check the things that I have so they know how to treat me. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Like, you know, th that's a great idea. So like if a um, transgender man went in, he could check. He still possibly still had a uterus. Sure. Yeah, might have had a hysterectomy, might not. Right, might but not. Since everyone's different, and these are things that you know, we might have, you know, pick among the list from the ones that you do have, and we'll kind of go from there. And, and uh, that's so something... Yeah, that's something that uh, insurance hates paying for is uh, checking on or treating uterine cancer or right. ovarian cancer, sure. which are not uncommon. Not uncommon at yeah, all. Yeah, there was a case uh, when Katie was doing them and gender marker changes, she had a trans guy uh, that was getting a gender marker change from female to male. And about a month or so after that happened, uh, they went in for a health screening. Uh, and they found a very virulent form of breast cancer that's found only in women, uh, natal women. But this guy now has a male gender marker, and insurance said, we're not treating it because men don't get this. And so this client came back to Katie just in tears and saying, do I have to go back and change my gender marker to female in order to get life-saving care? And shouldn't have to do things like that. Uh, so there was some letters that were written from a legal perspective that eventually convinced the insurance company that it would be in their best interest to treat this person and quickly so that they didn't you know, die or have something really uh, you know, horrible happen. Uh, but see, even they, it would end up costing them more money down the road. Yeah. But that stuff happens. With losses. Even that is just mind boggling. And for those of us who don't work in insurance, you, you, you you really have no idea how insurance works, and it's kind of yeah. scary and brutal at times. So what that this guy had a form of breast cancer? Because men do, by the way, get breast cancer. Um, One in a hundred cases. Exactly. But so what that he got a form of breast cancer that is only seen in women? Okay, he was an odd case. Even if he were um, a, a, a male who was um, Mark... Um, and assigned uh, male at birth. So what? Stuff happens. Weird uh, medical cases happen all the time. You're not going to treat him just because this wasn't, as it's never seen in men before? So, yeah, we need to educate doctors on how to code things. There's also naming uh, particular exams. Like, for instance, uh, trans guys often have an intact uterus and consequently need to have uh, pap smears done and things like that. So, Presently, that exam is called a well-woman exam. Mm -hmm. Could they change it to a pelvic health exam? So that's the kind of stuff when I talk to medical um, organizations is, can you change the name of these things so that it's not uh, so heavily gendered? Because it doesn't have to be. Because a, a pelvic health exam could be the exact same thing. We just don't need to call it a well-woman exam. Which is not for being politically correct. It's for being... You'll get paid by your insurance company if you call it this, as opposed to uh, calling it the other. Well, that's more politically correct, frankly. I mean, if you want to call it that. I'm sure it is, but I'm saying that's not the main reason for it. You would want to do it just so that well, this exam gets covered for somebody who needs it. No, the main reason for it is you don't want to have a trans guy sitting in a waiting room saying, are you here for a little woman exam? Instead, it's, are you here for a pelvic health exam? And he can say, yes, I am, uh, without confronting the gendered nature of it. So it's 
to me, it's more important on that angle because insurance presently isn't denying those type of things. But it's also why trans guys would often delay getting the hysterectomies uh, or getting their gender marker changed legally so that insurance will pay for the things that they need up until the point where they do change it. Yeah, and it just shouldn't be a factor. Of course. And I guess what the real answer is, is there are multiple reasons, but reasons that benefit the doctor as well as reasons that benefit the patient. We need to take a break. Our guest is Leslie McMurray. She's Transgender Advocacy Manager at Resource Center here in Dallas. Uh, This is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with LaRon Landis. Josh is on the board for us, and we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. Early voting has started, just in case you haven't heard already. Uh, You can vote early up until October 30th. For more information on polling locations, hours, and what types of IDs are accepted, go to votetexas.gov. Early voting is available at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. Hours are from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., seven days a week. But Davis says on Sundays. Um, on Sunday, it's limited hours. Limited hours. You know, it might not be at the American Airlines Center, but I can't guarantee that. Okay. Uh, go, go to votetexas.gov and you can find out. Um, voting early is open to all registered voters in Dallas County at the, the American Airlines Center. Um, there is uh, 50 voting machines. You can park free at the Lexus garage, enter on the north side of the building, and drive-through option is available. And I did that when I voted. Well, you didn't do the American Airlines Center. I didn't do the American Airlines Center. I voted. And you waited online for two hours. I waited online for two hours. Leslie, did you vote yet? Yes, we did. Katie and I both voted on Friday. Where did you vote? In Capel. Oh, okay. The courthouse. How, How long did it take? Uh, we got there at 6.45 or so, so we got in by about 5 after 7. So it was pretty quick. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. You know, the, the thing about lines <laughs> at the American Airlines Center, you might drive up and see a line. That line's going to be gone like that because there are 12 or so check-in stations, and then the spots said 50 voting machines. According to Mark Cuban, there were 60. Mm. So uh, there are plenty of voting machines. Then the machine actually counts your vote with mm-hmm. the uh, with the card that you put in. Right. That prints out your whole vote, so you can double check it, and you can see there really is a paper record in Dallas now. Um, there were a number of those, three, three or four. That only takes you know five seconds for it to right. uh, to roll in and count. So that was quick. Josh, you voted at Richland College. Yes. How, fat, how fast was that? Five minutes yesterday. <laughs> wow. No excuse not to vote, except no in Garland. <laughs> wow, yeah, again. I think I dented mine. I think I dented the screen I, when I was voting so enthusiastically. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took us one hour and 59, 59 minutes exactly to vote. Now, I don't think the lines are still that backed up. Um, throughout Texas, but we definitely encourage you to still early vote because if you wait till voting day, lives are probably going to be very long again. Now, is everybody else sick of the attack ads? Oh, yeah, goodness. I mean, if you're going to run an attack ad, at least tell the truth. Oh. When it's, when it's just a bunch of made-up stuff. Here's my favorite. absolutely frustrating. Here is my favorite. Brandy Chambers was a guest of ours two years ago when she was running for the legislature. Mm-hmm. She's running against Angie Chen Button, and I am not endorsing anybody. I'm just calling uh, Angie Chen Button 
a liar. Okay, so she escaped from communist China is the claim, right? <laughs> yes, right? I saw that. You saw, okay, she's from Taiwan. <laughs> she was born in Taiwan. Oh. Uh, and the, the ch other charge is it makes it sound like Brandy has stolen U.S. secrets and given them to China. <laughs> I talked to Brandy this week, and guess what? She never stole any U.S. secrets. <laughs> But vote for who you want in that well, race because we don't endorse here on KNON. I just had yeah. When you're completely dis disenfranchised from the truth, you can make up any story you want. Uh, but it's it's just frustrating to me to know what the truth is and to hear this nonsense coming out of people's mouths. It's just shameful and disgusting. Well, poor Angie. You're going to attack, attack. But poor Angie oh, had wow. to escape from the communists. Yeah, who were on the mainland and not in Taiwan, where she was born. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, <laughs> Does anybody oh, else have correct one quick thing? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not the advocacy manager. That's my boss, Raphael. I'm, I'm an advocacy associate. Uh, you're an advocacy associate. Okay, I will. Uh, associate. Yeah. Uh, associate. Okay. Yes, Raphael is the manager. <laughs> He's the manager. He's my boss. And, and Raphael does a great job. Uh, one of the things he that... Does. He does. He's a legend. Yeah, he really is. Um, he's done a number of... Uh, th you know what? Let's hold that for the next segment. I want to keep yeah. talking about voting. Because uh, did either of you watch any of those town hall meetings that Biden and Trump ran? Uh, a little bit. A little bit of both, actually. I just saw a little bit of each one. Yeah. How about you... Uh, Leslie, I watched the clips afterwards because I just, honest to God, a I've already made up my mind. There's nothing school right. can say or do uh, that can change my mind. I am, and I, and I guess I got to tread lightly because I'm not supposed to be, um, you know, endorsing any particular candidate. But I don't know if it's any big giant secret. But I just, I've had completely enough of that. I just, I don't need to hear an hour of it uh, to watch the sparring uh, between. Uh, and just the lack of class. I, so, yeah, I'll watch the recaps and I'm going to read up on it. Uh, okay, so here's what I liked. Yeah. Savannah Guthrie, who's a news heavyweight, right? Mm hmm. Uh -huh. Not really. I mean, she's about as lightweight a morning show host as you can get. <laughs> yeah. She took on Trump. She did? She yeah. did? She, she yeah. did? Oh, she did. A, she did. Yeah. A, I mean,. Anybody, I don't care who you are in the news business, you're talking to the President of the United States. And there's just this certain amount of respect that comes with the office. Not and, anymore. Well, I know not anymore, and I'm not talking about a particular person, but I'm talking about, there's, there's just, you know you're talking to the President of the United States. Yeah. So to uh -huh. challenge him, so she got him to not be able to admit that he just won't disavow white supremacists. And she really... about white supremacists. He won't admit being uh, tested before the debate. He right. couldn't remember. He claims. Yeah, sure. And she said to him, yeah. you know, I don't remember which debate. There was only one. Right. <laughs> she said that yeah. to him. Just the one. Okay, so Rick on the uh, gospel show before uh, Jewish Music Hour that I do sometimes, Rick and I were just talking, and I said to Rick, do you think it's possible he doesn't know the difference between a white person and a white supremacist? 
and he thinks he's disavowing white people? <laughs> yeah, good I question. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. It's at that point. How do you not right. disavow Nazis? Hmm. Yeah. We fought a whole war that I remember. Yeah, I, I would uh, go on record right here on this show that I would disavow white supremacy and Nazis and the Proud Boys and anyone that is, comes from that ilk. I would disavow them and... Um, <laughs> but what's what's so tough? You could not be around. Yeah. Do you think it's time, I'm asking both of you all this, do you think it's past a time where debates uh, are even necessary anymore? They don't really seem to have a much of an impact. Uh, well, they're also not much of debates. There's yeah. not a debate going on when it's just two people shouting and talking over one another. That's oh. not a debate. Of course. I, I, I really, as much as they were saying they didn't want it, uh, I think there should be a uh, a button or a, a mute button that when two minutes is up your mic gets shut off and that's the end of that because they've shown that two minutes means until they get done talking over the other guy I, I, I agree but even you know in the past elections it's like the, the debates the, they just didn't really seem to move the needle much in either direction um, so well, I, I like the format go ahead did. No, I think debates were more relevant when the two candidates had similar uh, positions, but maybe different approaches to them, or mm -hmm. uh, or their positions were not that far apart. And then you're listening to a debate to hear, well, this one would do it this way, and that one would do it that way. You know, if they were debating, one of Biden's uh, campaign promises is he will raise taxes on anybody uh, making more than $400,000. Now, I'd like to, and Trump's position, because I've actually seen this in print, is this is not a good time to raise taxes. So I would like to ask Biden, would you be doing it during the pandemic or wait till after? The, you know, just get some of those positions cleared up. And uh, Trump promising never to do that. Is that what you're promising that will never raise taxes and we're going to live on, the federal government will live on nothing? I would like to volunteer to raise my taxes should I make $400,000 a year. Right. And I understand <laughs> that. Right. It, to those of us who don't, and most people don't, you know, there was an article in the New York Times today about how the billionaires have really profited off of this pandemic. And shouldn't they be contributing a little bit more? Uh, like Amazon, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, and uh, Elon Musk, and mm -hmm. several others. Yeah, did you see the quote from Michael Dell? No. Because uh, there was, uh, I think Biden was talking about a top marginal tax rate of 70%, and so Dell went off on that saying that there's been no country in history that's ever succeeded with a marginal tax rate of 70%, and someone went and did the research on it and showed, well, one in particular that has is the United States. Mm -hmm. During the Second World War, ours was as high as in, in the 90s, and it was well above 70 all through the 50s and into the early 60s, and it wasn't until Ronald Reagan changed them in, in the 1980s did it come down below 70, and that's when the economic hardship started because the federal government had to run deficits in order to pay their bills. 
plus the 70%, or actually I think the highest, the rate started at 75%, that highest rate. Um, yeah. There are still deductions. Nobody paid the full 70% because we know the tax code. We know how complicated it is, and there are lots of tax deductions. Um, Just asked uh, the president. Right. Um, so is it official now so, that the president is, is not a billionaire? Uh, if he's $421 million in debt, which he did, he did, he did admit about that. Yeah, he did admit it. Uh, who knows? Yeah, he, he's... Well, taxes don't show net worth. They just show income. Right, so he does yeah. have property that's worth a lot more than what he actually owes. Problem is he'd have to sell some of it in right. order to pay that big tax bill. Um, he, um, he said a couple of other things last week that I thought were kind of interesting. One of them was he was at a rally, I think it was in Georgia, and he said, you know, if he loses, he might have to leave the country. Yeah, <laughs> I'll help him pack. Yeah, I hope that's not an idle threat. <laughs> you know, I was seeing it two ways. Is he doing that because he wants to avoid paying his taxes? That and, or, uh, and, and some other uh, criminal charges. Yeah. Yeah. And would another country... I mean, he'd have to have asylum in the other country, though, not to be arrested elsewhere. I think uh, Russia would open a, welcome him with open arms. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I find that very disturbing that the President of the United States would say that he might need to leave the country. That's kind of yeah. like uh, Banana Republic uh, tin pan have you seen, dictator. Have you seen some of the stuff on the Lincoln Project, which is uh, fascinating because it's a group of Republicans mm -hmm. that uh, have more or less put together a campaign uh, to elect Joe Biden, which is really odd, uh, in that his strategy, at least Trump's strategy, uh, heading into the last three weeks, uh, has been just to continue to pander to his base, not to try and build a coalition, and his strategy with Joe Biden is not differences in policy, but it's just name-calling. Mm -hmm. And that's all we've gotten from him. It's kind of sad. It's yeah. very sad. Um, He's taken his lock her up uh, mantra mm -hmm. and transferred it now to Governor Whitmer of Michigan, which I find very interesting because she was the subject of a uh, terrorist plot to, to kidnap, kidnap her, her which, and kill yeah. her. Yeah, uh, he doesn't really relate to at all or bring up. Uh, it's just his silence on that is a little bit odd. Well, it After wasn't silence. silence it's not silence. He was saying, lock her up. Yeah. I'm talking about the uh, the kidnapping attempt or the arrest of those people. There's the silences on that. Yeah, I, had, yeah I, I agree with you. I hadn't heard him say a thing about that. They're a terrorist uh -oh. organization. Yeah. I know they're yeah. Americans. Americans can be terrorists. He's on that as he was uh, in wife's condition with COVID-19. Okay, so... Melania finally said something this week. She said that Barron had contracted COVID. Do you find it interesting that from the time he went into the hospital until that little statement this week, and it, we didn't hear from her directly, but there was a statement from her office uh, that Barron had contracted and that now he's okay, that we didn't hear hiding her hair of the first lady. Yeah. It was. I, I was kind of expecting that she wasn't going to come back. 
Yeah. Kind of like a character on a show that <laughs> goes off and suddenly disappears yeah. and uh -huh. you never hear from again. And they bring in somebody that vaguely looks like them <laughs> and never mention the fact that the other person is gone. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of like on Roseanne, her oldest daughter kind of just disappeared. Disappeared. And then yeah. somebody else showed up in the role and... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, would, I was kind of expecting. Okay, so um, voting. Lauren, before the show, you and I were talking, and you're still worried. Very much so. Okay, so Leslie, how do you feel the election is going to go? Do you believe the polls, or do you... Not after last time. Social media, they can on social media and interference from foreign governments, and uh, the other part that's been really frightening is not just the Supreme Court and ramming through the uh, Andy Coney Barrett, but also stacking the federal courts uh, to where if there is a challenge after the election, he stacked the courts to where it's most likely to go in his favor if there is a dispute of some kind. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I'm kind of worried is not just in the uh, vote tally. Uh, yeah, I'm worried about that because uh, Hillary was supposed to win by four to six and yep. he ended up losing. Um, I, in my heart of hearts, I think America at its core is smarter than that. And I really think uh, that things will probably go differently this time. But if it can be challenged in any way, shape, or form, I have a feeling that the courts are stacked in such a way that we don't stand a snowball's chance because the courts seem to me ruling more on ideological things uh, than on constitutional things. And that's, you know, the, the I don't know, that real telling uh, piece on the Kim Davis uh, lawsuit. Yeah. And she was denied search in front of the court that Alito and Thomas wrote this opinion that marriage equality should be undone. And A, I don't know how you do that. And B, I don't know how you read the 14th Amendment and say these people don't have the same rights as someone else. I, I just, I don't get, I don't mm -hmm. understand it. Let's, let's talk That's about that, that more. We, we need to take a break, but I want to talk about yeah. that more. Let's do Kim Davis. Yeah, Kim Davis, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Why don't we take our break? Uh, our guest is Leslie McMurray. She's Advocacy Associate at Resource Center. I'm sorry for the demotion, Leslie. That's okay. I, I can it. Uh, and I'm Dave Taffet here with Luan Landis, and we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here uh, this week with Lauren Landis. Patty will be back with us next week. Our guest is Leslie McMurray. She's Advocacy Associate at Resource Center. And we were talking about the Kim Davis case. Kim Davis was that county clerk in Kentucky who refused to issue marriage licenses and refused to let anyone else in her office issue right. marriage licenses back in 2015 when... Uh, Shortly after the Obergefell ruling. And she was jailed. I don't know how long, I forgot. A weekend. Yeah, something like that. She was jailed. Um, finally, uh, clerks in her office were allowed to um, issue the certificates. She still wouldn't do so. And, of course, a lawsuit resulted of it. She lost the lawsuit. And now she has it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rejected the appeal based on the Obergefell ruling and, and the rare... Uh, instance, Alito, uh, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas added that they had no choice but to um, deny her appeal. But the reason why they did so 
it's because of the Obergefell ruling, and they said there was an error, and only the court could fix that error. So basically, long story short, our marriages are anything but safe. And I yeah, but there's a couple of questions that I have about that that I don't really know the answer to. Is that if they were to overturn Obergefell, they can't undo the marriages that have already occurred, but they could maybe prevent future marriages from happening, which creates an odd problem. Of course. Uh, if they undo it, uh, then it becomes according to the states. So there's a, a tenant called full faith and credit, which means that if you have a driver's license in Texas, you can drive into California. You don't have to get a driver's license in California. They uh, they respect that. If you get married in one state, you're married in all states. Marriage in another state, correct. So there's that full faith and credit argument. So if one state makes uh, same-sex marriage legal, if it got overturned, would it then have to be respected everywhere else? And then by proxy, it becomes uh, equal. They could say you just can't get married in this state, but you can live as a married couple in this state. And if they tried to undo marriages that were done subsequent to Obergefell, you've got accrued property rights and all kinds of chaos that could occur in trying to dissolve what has now become millions of marriages. Mm -hmm. uh, and to my knowledge, none of those same-sex marriages have uh, resulted in a destruction of traditional marriage. Or uh, you don't have people as predicted marrying their horses or dogs or blow-up dolls or all kinds of crazy things that uh, some people predicted what happened if same-sex marriage occurred. Uh, Katie and I got married. I don't know that it's affected anybody's marriage other than our own. It affected mine. Well, Leslie... Uh, I'm so sorry. But uh, Leslie, you're making too much sense. You're just yeah. making too well, much sense. The other and thing is that if uh, everybody who filed a joint tax return uh, went in and readjusted their taxes, the federal government would owe those people an awful lot of money because... Uh, two singles filing pay a lot less tax than one couple filing jointly in most cases if both of them are working. I mean, yeah. it, it's rare for the Supreme Court to over, overturn itself. It happens, well, but rarely. It's like generations or decades later. The marriage equality has only been legal for five years. However, what they said, would, would just as uh, um, the two justices said, they basically rolled out an invitation to have it challenged again. And you know someone, some state is going to do so. Well, it's based on religious rights and, and the thoughts on that, for one, with Kim Davis, uh, what Kim Davis is mistaking is uh, the marriage license are issued by the county clerk. And Kim Davis is the county clerk in that county in Kentucky, but she is not the office. She is a person. So the office has to issue those under the law, under the Obergefell ruling. So she couldn't deny that. She is not doing her job at that point. And the county, in, in, as far as I'm concerned, should fire her for not doing her job. Well, she was voted out of court. office. Yeah, she, yeah, she did. yeah, she's gone she now. To be. Then the other thing, though, is that uh, getting in the way of people's religion, um, I don't believe religion should be held any higher or any lower than the other rights in the Bill of Rights, in the Constitution. It should not be paramount above all others. Because if I say that you having a store that sells something that I don't agree with because of my religion, now you have to shut your store down? That's not right. If I can use my religion to harm other people or to deprive them of their rights, 
solely because of what I believe, I got a real big problem with that. So I think that, you know, what the Constitution doesn't even mention God in it. Uh, we've made some assumptions and we said, well, the free exercise of religion is protected, but also so is the establishment of a religion above all others. And by doing what they're doing, they're establishing a religion. They're giving benefit to this particular religion over others. Plus, so that's unconstitutional. Plus one thing that uh, some county clerk's offices have done that really is, you know, it's a nice compromise. Uh, you go up to the counter, ask to get a marriage license, and you've encountered the person who doesn't want to do them. A nice, friendly, oh, let me get you somebody who can help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. That works. That works. You don't, just because it's uh, not what you believe in doesn't mean you need to be rude to anybody else. Right. Um, I, mean, I would even like it if Dallas County would change their marriage guide. Because when you go to get a marriage license, there is this guide for couples to read before they get married to kind of understand, you know, what's expected of marriage and some things like that. All of them are listed as bride-groom. Interesting. Uh, very, yeah, even though same-sex marriage is the law of the land and there's how to be a good bride, how to be a good husband. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, it is. Look it up. So it's online. Oh, wow. See, I don't know. I, I didn't get married in Texas, so. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to, I'll I'll have to, look, have to look that look up. up. <laughs> yeah, that used to be updated in a big way. And we are just about out of time. Are we out of time? We're, we do have three minutes. Okay, Leslie, one thing that we're doing here at the studio is we are um, uh, socially distancing and one show is ending, oh, about ten minutes early in order to clean the studio wipe down all the counters, change the windscreens on uh, all the microphones. And it takes us usually about 10, 10 minutes to do, especially when there's a group of three people already in the studio. So I want to well, thank you. cell phone in a condom. Uh-huh. <laughs> to make sure. Well, I, I'm yeah. glad you did. You, you believe in yeah. a safe phone. So it'll take a few minutes for me to take it out. So, yeah, I appreciate the uh, early exit. Uh, you'll come back with us again. Hopefully next time you come on the show, we'll be able to have guests in the studio again. Uh, and it'll be Pledge Drive. And it might be Pledge Drive. Our uh, Pledge Drive doesn't start for another few weeks, but <laughs> we wanted to have you on for a whole show. Yes, that's wonderful. Which, I appreciate it very much, and it flies by. It does always fly by when you're on. Thank you very much. Always for good talking to you, Leslie. Take care. Take care. And our right. guest next week is Emmett Schelling. He is the uh, executive director of TENT, the Transgender Education Network of Texas. And for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, if you haven't voted yet, get out and vote. We gave instructions for early voting in, Tex in uh, Dallas County. There's early voting in every county. If you're in one of the other counties, uh, go to your county website. They list uh, all the early voting locations. The hours might not be as long as in Dallas, so double-check your hours also. Uh, I know Tarrant County starts 7 to 7 voting this coming week. Uh, this past week they had shorter hours. But for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, go vote, and we'll see you next week.